0: Okay, today I'm chatting with Mary Cusick, the founder and CEO of Overeat, a telehealth platform that was created for women by women. Mary worked with state, federal and commercial clients throughout the US before she hung up her consulting hat to become an entrepreneur and launched Overeat. We chat about Mary's decision to start a non-profit and the challenges that have come with that. And how the OVRIET platform that Mary and her team have created is allowing women to make key health decisions from the comfort of their own home. So I hope you enjoy it. Here's my conversation with Mary Cusick. Hey Mary, welcome to the TASK podcast. How are you doing?
1: Thank you so much for having me. Good, thank you. How are you doing?
0: I'm good, thanks. Yeah, my, my pleasure. I've been looking forward to this. We've we've obviously been talking now for two or three months, I think. So it's it's nice to get on and get on a podcast and chat through the work you know you're doing with Over it. So yeah, doing well. More my morning, your evening, of course.
1: Yes, it's a little bit later, but still energetic as always.
0: <laughs> cool, good to hear. Well, look, I for our listeners, I will have done a very short introduction, just coming into the pod, but it'd be great for you to just expand on that and um, yeah, just a, a kind of high level of, of yourself, Mary, OVRIET, you know, what you do, who you guys are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, my name is Mary Cusick, and I am the founder and CEO of OVRIET as well as the OVRIET Foundation. Um, the OVRIET Foundation is a nonprofit organization, and we have a mission to increase access to contraceptive and family planning services and advance women's health. Through research, advocacy, as well as education. So we're really aiming to bring these types of access points and advocacy to those who are experiencing domestic violence, um, human trafficking, as well as those even entering, uh, reentering society after incarceration, as well as providing free sex education for all. Um, you know, obviously we're a United States-based company, so our primary fo- focus is uh, the United States, but realistically everyone can really benefit from our free sex education.
0: Cool. And look, I know, you know, we, I know you are, uh, you're relatively new to the nonprofit space in in some ways. I mean, you have kind of jumped into this in the last, whatever it is year, year or so, 18 months or so um, and come out of, uh, you know, various business roles. What motivated you to launch your own nonprofit? It's a big decision, right? I mean, going from, Going from the security of, of, a, of a business or a, a for-profit job and jumping in and running your own nonprofit startup, effectively, yeah. What was the motivation to, to launch over it?
1: Um, well, it's probably crazy. Um, <laughs> I think everybody has to be a little insane to start their own business to a, to a sense. Um, we didn't really set out to want to create a nonprofit. We unfortunately just found this gap that exists within our healthcare system in our current society and we realized like we should probably do something to try to fix it. It's one of those things when you pick up a bunch of rocks, um, like if you're doing a construction project, even at your house, right? And you uncover something and it's like, oh, we can deal with that later or we can try to get ahead of it. And that's kind of how we felt when we realized um, you know, in the United States, the federal government can provide subsidies for health organizations to provide contraceptive access, um, yet they make patients really jump through hoops. Um, physicians must teach abstinence first education. And, um, you know, most people don't even know really how to obtain services or where to, to go to obtain services. So on average, nearly half of all pregnancies in the United States Are unintended, and over 19 million people still can't even afford contraceptives. Um, And so, you know, all of that is horrible, but we realize there's a bigger and a larger patient population that's completely underserved, which are those who are dealing with domestic violence as well as survivors of human trafficking. Um, So, before we really set out, even to create the foundation, we started uh, calling (laughs) these shelters and organizations, and it became clear that the individuals that they're serving aren't seeking access to care at what's already available to them, because like I said, it's very difficult to try to navigate that system. Um, And a lot of times it's really a lot of fear base as well. You're, you know, those who are trying to hide themselves in society, unfortunately, like women who are being domestically abused, or those who are trafficked, um, they are trying to hide. So the fear of going to a public service or walking into a public health department often is not their first route. So they have to worry about who's watching them, as well as, you know, what they're telling a provider. So they don't actually go to a facility and they don't actually get help. So that's really what we're trying to solve is just the issue of access, as well as that education piece.
0: It, I mean, I this my next question. it's kind of leads to it, but may, um, you know, I was going to ask, you know, why the telehealth space, but, which is what you're kind of talking about. But maybe before I ask that, I think useful to, you know, what is telehealth? I'm just thinking of our audience here, actually, who may have not even heard this word. Some will have done, but maybe just talk telehealth because when I've talked to, you, I realize, yeah, you're running a charity, but you've had to build something from a technology perspective, you sound more like a tech startup, which we are, you know, but yeah, why telehealth? What is telehealth? Maybe just give us a bit of a, bit of a spin on that. And yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting because in the United States, if you ask all 50 States, all of them give you a different definition realistically. (laughs) Um, So, um, which also is always interesting in the regulation standpoint of telehealth, but Telehealth is really using all of the technology that exists to be able to uh, communicate effectively with a healthcare team. So, you know, being able to go online, book an appointment and talk through Zoom or uh, Microsoft Teams or, you know, really having an audiovisual appointment to be able to communicate effectively with a provider, whether that's a nurse practitioner or a physician, um, you know, someone on the other line who's able to really solve and help you solve your problems from a health standpoint. Sometimes that can be psychiatry, sometimes that can be, um, you know, for our case contraceptives and even just follow up appointments. Um, And when COVID obviously took over this globe, a lot of healthcare providers started switching to telehealth, Mm. um, or at least providing those services. So people weren't having to make extra trips in and putting themselves in danger of contracting another illness while they're already might be sick. So, um, you know, telehealth is just an amazing convenience, especially for those who don't have transportation and it's extremely effective. Um, it's not a, a one size fits all. You can't use it for everything, obviously. So in-person visits are, and preventive screening are still extremely important, but it does help alleviate a lot of issues.
0: So the you know, you talked about this a minute ago. The problem you solve obviously with by providing this service is people who are, you know, maybe not so willing to go in to somewhere or feel that, you know, they need to have that distance to to speak and to to, to ask the right questions for their health situation. That that solves this problem. But also you mentioned lockdown, COVID, and I imagine loads of traditional medical centers, I mean, you know, around the world have switched to this telehealth model. Was that part of the motivation or was it just coincidental that you were looking at, you know, solving this problem for people who didn't necessarily want to walk into a center? So yeah, was it, was it just timing or or was it all part of the same thing?
1: So, um, the Oviet platform, realistically, it's a proprietary software system that we built. Um, so this process started long before COVID had ever, you know, ravaged the globe realistically. Um, but we realized very quickly you can do a lot more, um, and you can help a lot more people if you're not just one central location. Healthcare overhead is obviously extremely expensive, um, and telehealth doesn't have those—I'll call them on-prem costs—that hmm. are facil- you know, that are usually seen in a facility. Um, it also allows for wider service hours. Um, patients don't have to leave their home. Um, And we were able to even incorporate better safety features for the patients that we see with that. Um, One being we have a quick exit feature on our website. And so if a patient hits that quick exit, um, where it just says, you know, exit site here, it automatically disables all of the cookies um, and takes you to your local weather. That way, if someone is monitoring your phone, they are watching everything that you're doing, Uh, you're able to get out of our site as quickly as possible. It doesn't leave any tracks behind. We don't automatically email you. You know, there's those companies that are like, you'll have something in your cart. We we don't do those things um, because we're not worried necessarily about that profit side of things and and trying to, you know, reduce customer acquisition costs and some of the other aspects that uh, for-profit organizations really do have to worry more about. Um, so, yeah, being able to have those safeguards and being able to have access to more patients to be able to help them really allowed telehealth to shine in this current use case.
0: I think, um, yeah, really nice segue and setup up for my next question. I mean, I, you know, I, I know that you're focused on, you know, delivering quality over speed to market, which a lot of other telehealth um, platforms are maybe the other way. I mean, I think that's probably what you're highlighting there in terms of you know, how you develop this platform. I mean, has, I imagine that's been challenging. I mean, question is, yeah, has that been challenging? You know, how, why, but, you know, building something like that when you're really looking at delivering quality over speed to market, yeah, what are, what are the challenges been like with that kind of tech design, build, test process for you as, as an organization?
1: So, I mean, you, you know technology, um, you know the space, anytime you're trying to build new technology, especially emerging um, technology and innovation, it's frustrating always, um, especially as the laws are ever changing and the regulations are ever changing in a newly developed market. So uh, there was an element of figuring things out as we go, but it's healthcare. So we have to get it right. There's no in between. Mm. Um, So what we did was, controlled what we could control. And that one element was the healthcare. So we incorporated what's called the USMEC guidelines um, into our application. And that really just protects the patient as well as reduces much of the human error that exists within prescribing. Um, So, you know, rightfully, like I said, the healthcare industry is extremely regulated. So um, just kind of combining, Uh, That innovation and trying to bob and move with that idea of a highly regulated field was extremely tricky as is. Um, So getting it right and not having to worry about the speed to market was something that was I hate to say new to me because you always want technology to work especially when you're a technologist
0: mm. um,
1: but there really isn't that many you don't get overs in healthcare. care um, that leads to regulatory fines so we knew we had to get it right um, and take our time to make sure everything was done properly.
0: Do you have to keep I mean yeah like you say obviously I know technology we are do, do you I don't know a lot about telehealth though do you have to keep tweaking building maintaining is it like any kind of technology or software product where you're constantly redefining based on the market, based on, yeah, how things are shifting?
1: Absolutely. So, I mean, obviously we're always trying to stay innovative, trying to uh, use the best resources that are available to us, as well as third parties, right? Integrations, um, API integrations, especially uh, what's new, what's emerging, um, with keeping our backend databases as strong as it is also cybersecurity, right? So people really want to get their hands on healthcare records. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea of HIPAA compliance, staying secure, keeping your patients trust by never selling their information, um, or, you know, sharing that information with anyone. There's a lot of those regulatory facets, um, that are constantly changing and really developing even further, which we're totally excited and happy for, um, for to protect the patients as well as the consumers in general, who might not even be a patient yet, as much as we're able to do those aspects, I'm all for it. So the more regulation in healthcare, I truly believe the better in that sense. Um, But it's, It's, it's interesting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good word. (laughs) Good good word. Makes sense. So, um, you know, over the, I've dealt with the nonprofit sector a lot over the years. I, you know, do in my current role with nonprofits, also with social enterprises. I kind of put you guys a little bit in that bucket, really, in terms of the work you do. But, um, you know, how, for you bringing that kind of corporate technology background into the sector, I mean, how, how has, how has that been useful? Has that really aided you or or is it been more challenging because you didn't have necessarily as much of a nonprofit background um, from what I understand, but yeah, what, what's what been the use of that if at all?
1: Um, well, you know, I love your background. I love everything that you've been able to do and being able to work with nonprofits to really help benefit them um, throughout your career. I think that that is so amazing. And honestly, um, it's, it's hard to run a nonprofit being in the mm. corporate world for over a decade. Um, you know, I, I did the state and federal consultancy um, for nearly a decade. And so going from a nonprofit sector of consulting, which is dog eat dog world, you're going to work 80 hours a week and you're going to just deal with the hardest situations. Um, Honestly, it's interesting because there are, I, I, I treat nonprofit kind of the same way of except for i'm the client this time um which is kind of hard to delineate those two and when i'm putting on my thinking cap but a lot of times when you're dealing with state and federal clients especially they have a very tight budget they have to figure out how to make society work with all of these problems and very little funds at least in the united states anyway so Um, I'm kind of taking that same approach where how do we move fast, adapt and be innovative in a highly regulated um, area as well as, you know, nonprofits are highly regulated um, because of the 501c3 status as well, so I've tried my hardest to hire a very diverse team that's filled with different backgrounds and experiences. So we have those who are nonprofit veterans, we have pharmacists, we have physicians, um, we have student interns um, that I swear try to keep me young and hip, but to no (laughs) avail. (laughs) I'm always just preaching to everybody to take their birth control on time. So they kind of get annoyed with me, Um, as well as, you know, just people who are really passionate about the project, but kind of keeping that vibe of this is, you know, still nonprofit sector, but we're just shifting it. We don't have to, like I said, we don't have to worry about customer acquisition costs as much um, and all of those different aspects, but we're, we're running as lean as we possibly can. And I've just kind of shifted that focus.
0: Uh, yeah. I really like that. I mean, you said you, you made a point there. You haven't really, you don't think of it too much differently. I think that's so important from, you know, you maybe think actually of John Woods, I think it was John Woods who ran, he came out of Microsoft to launch Room to Read. I'm showing my age now because that's probably 20 years ago. But I always remember when he moved out of that kind of big corporate role and then he launched Room to Read, he went in with this mentality of, hey, we're not going out to look for money to work out what to do with that money. We're going out to solve a problem and look at how we deliver on that. And then we will find the money to solve that problem. It, it's it's just a shift in thinking, but it's much more of a business mentality. It's just the, the difference is, yeah, you know, you've obviously then got to go and fundraise and get grants to deliver on that. So yeah, good to just just good to hear how you think about that, because I think it makes a lot of sense. And we need more of that within the nonprofit it's, world.
1: It's hard, um, because you, it's, it's easy to hear what everybody else is And and it's no disrespect to other nonprofits. Obviously, I love nonprofits, um, but a lot of them have been around for even a century, you know, decades they've been around. And um, a, a lot of people, it's always, well, we've always done it that way. Um, or it's assumed. And when you're larger and you've been a nonprofit for some time, you generally have a little bit more accessibility with funds. Um, You already have a large following. You already have a lot of these things that are built in. Um, Rather than when you're starting fresh, you have to just be scrappy. And that's the same way as it is in the corporate world. Um, So I'm kind of just, you know, I think about it nearly the same at this point as we got to be scrappy. And if our value is there, we'll earn our keep along the way, but like, just keep moving forward. We'll figure this out together.
0: Awesome. Makes sense. I like it. Um, yeah, look, I didn't have any questions on the list and um, it's been really good to, to catch up and, and share some stuff. I suppose just as a, a final close, um, before you share your details, you know, how can people support over it? You know, what's, what's the way, you know, people can get in there and support you guys. And then maybe uh, what are your details so people can follow you or find out more?
1: Yeah, thank you. So we would love everybody's support, obviously. Um, Well, one of our fun, exciting things that we're doing is we are launching an NFT collection on the Blue Marble platform. Um, And we're super excited about that. We have an amazing artist. We are working with great marketing teams. So this should be a fun Um, And just a new experience, because I don't think there's that many nonprofits that are going um, that direction towards NFTs yet. But I think it's an amazing asset that should be used in the future, especially since people will know and see this is exactly what I'm donating for this campaign. So um, bringing that transparency from blockchain into charity space, I think, is amazing. Um, People can also donate directly uh, to OVRIIT.com. O V A R Y I T fund.org. Um, and there, 100% of the donations go directly to helping survivors. Um, we help people get period products, pregnancy tests, medical care, you name it. Um, we really, well, currently we don't pay ourselves, but when we do, um, it's only through grant funds themselves. So, um, yeah, we would love and appreciate everybody's support and just know 100% transparency. All of the funds always go to helping those individuals who need it the most. Um, And of course, follow our socials. We have TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, All of them are through OVRIIT, O-V-A-R-Y-I-T. And yeah, we'd love for everybody to be able to follow us and tell your friends and even do a quick share because it can make the world of a difference for a brand new nonprofit.
0: Brilliant, Mary. Well, I will leave all of those links in the podcast notes for anyone listening. Of course, obviously the, the blue marble is, is the, the other business I'm involved in. It's part of Task, So um, we will obviously promote all of, all of that NFT stuff that we're working on. I think within the next week we should have some stuff out. So, uh yeah, for the audience listening who wants to learn more, we'll also leave those notes in there. And yeah, it's been great to catch up and, and I will leave you to your evening, but all the best.
1: Thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful morning and rest of the day.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to the Task podcast and hope you found it interesting. If you'd like to get in touch and have a chat with myself, Matt, or one of the team, then we are at hello at task.io and we'd love to speak to you. Cheers.